I hope that you will join me in the book of 2 Samuel as we look together at chapter 10, verses 9 to 19. When we find Israel here in this chapter, they are facing a seemingly hopeless situation. A hopeless situation. They're in the midst of a battle, and at this point, it appears that they have been outmaneuvered. It appears that they are outmanned and outgunned. There's nowhere to turn. They have enemies in front of them and behind them. And maybe in your life, you have felt that way before. That in the midst of a hardship in the face of adversity, maybe just all the hardship of 2020 has put you in a corner and you don't know where to turn and you're feeling down and hopeless. What do we do? Where do we turn? Well, the encouragement in this scripture is that we can have real courage, God-given courage, the same courage that we see in Joab, the general of the armies of Israel. Joab shows us the nature of true courage. And it has nothing to do with anything he did or what he achieved. It has everything to do with what he believed about what God would do. It had everything to do with what he believed about what God would do. He believed with every fiber of his being that God would do what is good in God's own eyes. Even when, here's the kicker, even when that outcome, that result, was not favorable to Joab and Israel, he believed that God would bring about a good result. He was totally and entirely surrendered to God's will. And here's what you need to know in your life right now as you face 2020 or any other hardship or adversity in your life. The more your life is surrendered to God's will, the more courage you will have to fight life's battles. The more you are surrendered, the more your life, your thoughts, your heart is surrendered to God's will, the more courage you will have to fight your life's battles. How can we have that courage? Well, let's take a look at 2 Samuel 10 and remember the context. Israel isn't in this predicament because they had done anything wrong. On the contrary, King David had done everything right. He had decided to try to reset the relationship with their neighbors to the east, the Ammonites. Upon the death of the Ammonite king, David sent ambassadors to express his sympathy, his kindness to the new king of the Ammonites. But the Ammonites looked upon David's offer with skepticism. And the advisors to the Ammonite king said, you can't trust David. He's only sent this delegation to spy our, our, our land. He just wants to conquer our territory. You can't trust him. And so the Ammonites make a fatal error and humiliate David's ambassadors. They shave off half their beard, they, they cut off their clothes to expose their private parts, and they send them packing. And so David didn't ask for this fight, 
But this fight has come to him. And when the Ammonites realize that they have really messed up, that they have become obnoxious in David's eyes, then they start to enlist some allies, in particular the Arameans, the Syrians from up north of Israel. And the Arameans, who are technologically and numerically superior to to the Israelites, now assemble against the Israelite armies. So David sends his army out, led by Joab. And this is where we pick up our reading at verse 9. Joab saw that there were battle lines in front of him and behind him. So he selected some of the best troops in Israel and deployed them against the Arameans. He put the rest of the men under the command of Abishai, his brother, and deployed them against the Ammonites. Joab said, If the Arameans are too strong for me, then you are to come to my rescue. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come to rescue you. Joab looks at the battlefield and realizes that he has enemies in front of him and behind him. On one side, he has the Ammonites. On the other side, he has the Arameans. What to do? What to do? Well, something that is totally in keeping with Joab's character that we've seen is that Joab is a masterful tactician. He's ruthless, in fact, in defending the people of Israel and Israel's king, David. And he has demonstrated his willingness to take out any threat, even when we might accuse him of being rash in doing that. This is in keeping with his character. He makes a plan. And if you are to have the courage that we see in Joab, the first thing we need to do is prepare to fight. Prepare to fight. Notice that surrender was not an option for Joab and the Israelites. He doesn't even contemplate giving up or raising the white flag. He makes a plan. He begins to strategize. And he says, all right, we're going to split up our forces. I'll take the best troops and fight the Arameans, the Syrians. Then he assigns his brother Abishai to fight the Ammonites. And he says, after we get out there, if it turns out that the Arameans are too strong for me, then I want you to come rescue me, literally come save me. And if the Ammonites are too strong for you, Abishai, well then I will come rescue you, I will come save you. Surrender is not even an option. It's not on the table. It's not in the cards. And as God's people now, when we find ourselves backed into a corner, when we feel like we're out of options, that we've been outmaneuvered, that we're outgunned, outmanned, and we seem to feel hopeless, remember, surrender cannot be an option. We have to look at the enemy squarely in the face and prepare to fight. And that means that we trust God even when we're facing those enemies. Because no, you're not going to face off against the Arameans or the Ammonites. But you do have enemies. Whether that enemy takes the form of worry, doubt, angst, grief, sadness, bitterness, anger... 
There is something in your life right now that threatens your spiritual health and well-being. Are you prepared to fight? Or have you simply given up? And you're allowing that voice of worry and doubt and anger, whatever it is, to drown out the voice of God's word and his voice of hope. This is vitally important that we prepare to fight. Because sometimes when we feel like we've been backed into a corner and we feel like our circumstances are hopeless, we can start to turn our resentment and our worry toward God and say, God, why did you let this happen? God, I, 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 I've been going to church. God, I've been praying. God, I, I thought I trusted you and you, now you let this happen to me? I'm surrounded. What am I supposed to do with this? And we need to remember that God did not and has not promised that his people will never face enemies. On the contrary, he has warned his people repeatedly, and he's warning you now, you will face enemies. Don't act like something strange is happening to you. God never promised you comfort. Never, God never promised you leisure. God never promised that you would live forever in this world or that you would have your loved ones forever in this world. He never said that. So don't hold God to a standard that God has not promised. God reveals over and over and over again that in this world we will have troubles. We will have to fight. So remember what God has promised and what God hasn't promised. And also realize that if you're going to trust in this God, if you're going to receive his guidance and his help and his salvation, that it's going to take every resource you have. Yes, we rely on his strength. Yes, we depend upon his guidance. But it will be a fight. Are you ready for that? Or is that not what the preacher told you when you came forward to accept Jesus as Lord? Maybe you thought your ticket to heaven had been punched and, and you're good to go. And then, then you get this diagnosis or you face this loss. And you think, well, that's not what I signed up for. And so often in proclaiming the free grace of God that costs sinners nothing, but costs God, his precious son, Jesus, on the cross, sometimes we as preachers neglect to tell you that while salvation is free, discipleship will cost you everything. And you need to be clear about what you're signing up for, that you're signing up to follow a crucified Savior if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And this will be a fight. This is a fallen world filled with sinners, filled with people who are in open and active rebellion against their creator. And that rebellious spirit is inside of you and inside of me right now. We can't be naive about this world or about the threats that we face in this world. We have to be prepared to fight. Fight. 
And it is when we are prepared to fight that we receive the courage that only God can give us. Let's continue reading at verse 12. Joab says, Be strong and let us fight bravely for our people in the cities of our God. The Lord will do what is good in his sight. Then Joab and the troops with him advanced to fight the Arameans, and they fled before him. When the Ammonites realized that the Arameans were fleeing, they fled before Abishai and went inside the city. So Joab returned from fighting the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. When we come to verse 12, we see how Joab is completely surrendered to God's will. The source of his courage in facing this enemy is his surrender. He has the courage to say, God, the outcome of this battle is not going to depend upon me. It's not going to depend upon the Arameans or the Ammonites. It's going to depend on you. You will do what is right. And behind that conviction, we see a desire to reach out and help those who are in danger, who are in trouble. Remember what he says in verse 11 to Abishai, his brother. If the enemy is too strong for me, then come help me. If the enemy is too strong for you, then I will go help you. He is on the lookout for people to help. Because he knows God will do what is good, God will do what is right, he is then freed to reach out and take the risk of helping his brother. And right now, wherever you are in your life, I challenge you to be on the lookout for those who are in need. Those who are completely consumed by this campaign and who are so anxious about this nation and about this election. Those who are lonely in the midst of this pandemic, look for people who need your encouragement. Because when you're down, one of the best things you can do is to go help someone. A dear saint who's gone on to be with the Lord used to say when I was a child, when you get down, get out. When you get down, get out. When you are so self-absorbed and self-consumed with your own problems and your own worries and your own resentment, whatever it is about life, about someone else, get out. And of course, right now, maybe you can't literally and physically get out, but you can pick up the phone. You can type an email. You can send a text message. Who is that in your life who needs an encouraging word that the enemy on their front has become overwhelming? They need a brother or sister in Christ to come beside them and to remind them that God will do what is right. God is good and God will always be counted on to do what is good in his eyes. Who is that in your life right now? And then in verse 12, notice the resources that Joab commends to his brethren. 
he says, be strong. Be brave. Be courageous. And what he's saying is, draw upon whatever strength you have. No matter how little. Draw upon that. God has given you what you need. God will never call you to do something without equipping you with what you need to do it. So go in the strength you have. Cling to that. Even when you feel like you don't have anything, muster whatever strength you have and go. That's the resource. God will provide what you need. So be strong, be brave, be courageous. That's the resource. Then notice the reason for the fight. Let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. Notice how Joab frames this fight. He says, guys, this really isn't about me. It's not really about you. It's not really just about our cause. This is about God. The battle is the Lord's. This ultimately is God's fight. And ultimately what we know is that God is for his people. We know that God has promised these cities, promised this land to his people. And so we are going to get behind God's cause wholeheartedly. We're fighting for our people, for the cities of our God. And so in your life right now, do you have that perspective to say, this really isn't about me. It's not really about them. This is about God. And I want to make sure that how I see any, any conflict is directed and framed by God's cause. And what is God doing in the world? God is bringing his kingdom. God is redeeming his people. God is sending his people to call more people. God is blessing his people so that they in turn can be a blessing to the nations. God is doing all of that and he's doing it in you and through you. So before you get so consumed by whatever immediate problem or immediate conflict you have in your life, make sure that you're fighting for the right reasons. That this isn't just about your own happiness and your own well-being and your own comfort. That this is about the people of God. This is about the cities of our God. That's the reason for the fight. And then notice the result of the fight, very end of verse 12. The Lord will do what is good in his sight. The Lord will do what is good in his sight. Notice he doesn't say, the Lord will help us win. (laughs) The Lord will lead us to be victorious on the battlefield. That's not what he says at all. He's willing to say, even if we are humiliated, even if we are slaughtered on this battlefield, the Lord will do what is good in his own sight. Not in our sight, not by our lights, not by what seems good or right to us, but by what seems good in God's sight. And God's ways and God's plans are so much higher and so much better than anything we could come up with, right? Do you have the courage to say that today? God, no matter what the outcome of this is, I trust that you will do what is good and what is right. And if you are assured of that outcome, 
then you can have the confidence to trust God even when the outlook seems bleak. Trust God to bring about a good outcome. An outcome that is good in his sight. Now, I need to apply this specifically to the election that's coming up this week. Because on the other side of this election, we know some will be celebrating, some will be elated, some will be deeply disappointed and discouraged. That's inevitable. That's not in doubt. But I wonder, in your own mind right now, in looking at that election, whatever the outcome is, can you say with Joab, the Lord will do what is good in his sight? Or do you say, well, I know what's good. <laughs> I know what's good, and I, and I believe God would certainly affirm what I believe is good. Or can you say, no matter the outcome, the Lord will do what is good in his sight. I trust him to do that. With everything I have, I trust him to do that. Can you put this election in God's hands? Or not? Or do you just know? You just know what God should do. You just know what is good and what is right. Be honest. Think carefully. I hope it doesn't come as a surprise to you that God is not a Democrat. God is not a Republican. God is not an independent. God is not unaffiliated. God's not even an American. Let that sink in. God is so big and so sovereign that he can accomplish his sovereign purposes in the midst of all of that without being reduced to any one of them, to any one nation, to any one party, to any one politician. And yet he works sovereignly in and through all of them. And so we need to remember that the calculus of God's providence is more complicated than any one of us could ever comprehend. It is more complicated than any one of us could ever comprehend. It is infinitely complex. And in the calculus of God's providence, God is doing any number of things simultaneously. And this is why, whether you are elated by the results of this election in 2020, or whether you're disappointed by the results, you can put it in God's hands without believing that God is necessarily endorsing the result. We see throughout First and Second Samuel that the enemies of God's people sometimes triumph. The Philistines humiliate Israel sometimes. Does that mean that God favors the Philistines? No. It does mean that God is working in that defeat. And sometimes the result of a contest is God's judgment on a people. Sometimes the result of a, a contest is God's blessing. Sometimes God is allowing a tactical defeat in order to bring about a strategic victory. Be humbled by the calculus, the infinitely complex calculus of God's providence. 
and say with Joab, the Lord will do what is good in his sight, come what may. Are you that surrendered to God's will or not? Because look at the results. There's no bloodshed. As soon as Joab leads the troops out against the Arameans, they start running. Why? We're not told, but ultimately we know that God has decided the outcome of this battle. And the outcome of this battle is not determined by anything that's happening on the battlefield. It's not determined by the tactics or the strategy or the weapons or the general or the numbers. God determines the outcome. God is in total control of this battle without condoning everything that happens in this battle. But we can be totally surrendered to God's will knowing that he can do this. He can bring about the most shocking, the most surprising victories. Do you trust him to do that? Because here's what we know about this God. As David says in Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then at the very end of this psalm, in verse 13, he says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'll see it now. I don't have to wait for heaven. I'll see the goodness of God now. Even when that goodness doesn't take the form that I might prefer. God will be good to his people. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Are you so surrendered to God's will that you can wait even when you don't see that goodness, even when you don't see how God could be at work in this, even when you don't understand the how, you ultimately trust in the what. And the what is that God will do what is good in his own sight. So come to him as a strong fortress, a refuge in a time of trouble. Look to him, no matter how surrounded you feel, no matter how hopeless your circumstances seem, trust him, wait on him. He is faithful. He will provide. He will do what is good in his own eyes. Going to verse 15. After the Arameans saw that they had been routed by Israel, they regrouped. Hadadezer had Arameans brought from beyond the Euphrates River. They went to Helam with Shobuk, the commander of Hadadezer's army, leading them. Wait a second, you might say. I thought we just won. <laughs> What's happening? Oh no, that's not the end. The Arameans regroup. They realize they've been defeated, and that doesn't keep them from now enlisting even more and employing Hadadezer to fight for them, now with a new general. And so what that means for us as we pursue this kind of courage, as we pray to God for this kind of courage, we prepare to fight, we surrender to God's will, and we stay alert. Stay alert. Because just because you've seen a victory in one area, that doesn't mean that the enemy won't regroup and hit you from your flank. We can't ever afford to let our guard down. 
And we need to see that this enemy is an enemy we've seen before. You go back to 2 Samuel 8. David faced this exact same king, Hadadezer, and seemingly defeated him, routed him. Here he is again, regrouping. Our enemy is relentless. We can't ever afford to get complacent, to let our guard down. And what you need to know in your life right now is that one of the greatest dangers to your courage, to your confidence in God, is this. The itch for novelty. The itch for novelty. How does this happen? Well, it can happen to pastors. It's something I have to fight against every week. It can happen to faithful church members, people who have been in the church since cradle roll. It can happen to anyone. When we start to think that the things of God are boring or stale, and we start to think, well, I've read that, I've heard that, I need something new, I need something fresh, I need a new voice, and we stop being entertained with the word, we stop being entertained with a particular preacher or a particular church, and maybe we'll shop around a little bit, maybe we'll check out another church, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll venture out and see the, the latest and greatest thing in Christendom to try to satisfy that itch for novelty. This is a persistent threat, and you need to be aware of it because it's, it's an enemy, a perennial enemy, just like Hadadezer and the Arameans was a perennial enemy to Israel and to King David. They could never afford to let their guard down. You can never afford to let your guard down against the itch of novelty, wanting something new. And as a pastor, sometimes I think, oh, I think I said that last week. Oh, I, I, that's not good enough. I've got to come up with something fresh for them. I've got to be more creative than that. And that's idolatry. I'm worshiping creativity instead of the God who has spoken and who has provided a word that is totally and completely sufficient for his church, for his people. My job is to faithfully and plainly Say what he has already said. But oh, we can get so puffed up thinking that we need something new. We know, we know better now when we can think, after all, I mean, this is 2020. This is the United States of America. We know so much more than people did back then. We don't have time for fairy tales like this. Sure, we can glean a moral here, a truth there, but... By and large, this is an old book written by people who had out-of-date ideas about the world, so we can't possibly treat it like it's the Word of God. Oh, the smugness and the arrogance in that train of thought. Beware of thinking that way. Because great will be the downfall of those who try to outsmart God. 
Almost any heresy, as you go back and look at church history, almost any heresy has resulted from people who think that they needed to say something new. People who thought that they needed to bring a new interpretation. People who thought that they needed to save Christianity from itself. We can't possibly preach that way anymore. We can't possibly treat the Bible that way anymore. Beware, beware. That is the same tactic that the enemy has been employing since the very beginning. Did God really say that? (laughs) No, he didn't say that. You won't die if it looks good to you, if it sounds good to you, if it sounds true, if it feels true, believe it. That's all you have to do. Stay alert. Stay alert. Our enemy, Satan, is far more deadly and far more dangerous than any caricature, any cartoon of a man with a horn and horns and pitchfork. No, he is like a roaring lion, the word says who prowls around looking for someone to devour, someone who has become jaded with the word, someone who has become complacent in their spirituality. Stay alert. David was alert, as we read in verse 17. When David was told of this, he gathered all Israel and crossed the Jordan and went to Helam. The Arameans formed their battle lines to meet David and fought against him. But they fled before Israel, and David killed 700 of their charioteers and 40,000 of their foot soldiers. He also struck down Shobach, the commander of their army, and he died there. When all the kings who were vassals of Hadadezer saw that they had been routed by Israel, they made peace with the Israelites and became subject to them. So the Arameans were afraid to help the Ammonites any more. At the end of this chapter, we see the outcome of those who choose to rebel against God's chosen king. We see what happens to those who refuse and who reject God's offers of kindness as the Ammonites did. And so for you to have the courage we see in Joab here, Holy Spirit-inspired courage, make sure that you commit yourself with everything you have and everything you are, to the cause of God's king. Not to your cause, not to the cause of any nation or party. We're in this world. We have citizenship in this world and in heaven, and so we have to be in this world. But ultimately, ultimately, our commitment, our allegiance, our loyalty is with God's chosen king. Because at the end of the day, God's king will triumph. God's king will be vindicated. We see that in part in David and how he is vindicated here. His kindness is vindicated. The Ammonites and the Arameans had no excuse. They willfully and willingly rejected his offer of kindness. They have no excuse. And you will have no excuse if you reject God's ultimate king, the Lord Jesus Christ. God is being kind and patient with you now. Don't refuse him. Get on his side. Commit your life to him. Come what may. This king will win. He can't be defeated. No matter how hopeless things look, he will triumph. You can be certain of that. You can be confident of that. Do you believe that? Here's 
what I want to encourage you with. If you, in your life right now, feel as though you've been abandoned, if you don't know where God is in this circumstance, in this problem, in this challenge, hear these words from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Are you, are you facing a fiery ordeal? Don't be shocked by that. That's normal for Christians in this world. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. If you are surrounded, if you have an enemy in front of you and behind you, make sure that you're in that predicament because you are faithful to Jesus Christ and not because of sin in your life. But if you suffer that way, don't be ashamed. You bear the name of Jesus and then in verse 19, so then, those who suffer according to God's will, those who suffer according to God's will, what God wants in his providence, in his sovereignty, what, what do you do? I, I don't want to suffer. You don't want to suffer. But what are we to do? They should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Entrust yourself to your faithful creator. He has proven himself to be faithful because he sent Jesus Christ to die in your place to prove that he loves you. And Jesus shed his blood for a sinner like you. And he has been raised to new life, life that you can have. Remember, when Jesus was crucified, everyone thought that was the end of his story. There's no way that God could be in that. This is someone who is cursed by God. This is someone who is forsaken by God. And yet, God was in it. And God triumphed, and he vindicated his son. Commit yourself to your faithful creator and do good. Do good. Model in your life the kindness and the love of this creator. Do your duty and leave the consequences to God. And if today you have not committed your life to your faithful creator, through Jesus Christ, I pray that you would do that. He's available right now. He's being kind to you right now. He's extending this offer of salvation to you right now. Will you take it with joy and with gratitude? And will you commit to live for him and for his cause no matter what? Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Lord, we praise you and we thank you that we can count on you no matter where we are, no matter what we're facing, no matter how surrounded we feel, no matter how hopeless we feel, we can count on you. And I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would fill us with the courage we need to surrender to your will. Help us to wait on you. Help us to trust you to do what is good in your sight. Even when we don't see that good, even when we have no idea how you could bring good out of a circumstance, out of a challenge, out of a contest. Lord, help us to have the courage to surrender, to say yes, and to wait on you, come what may. Help us, Lord. Help us to wait on you. Help us to believe that we will see your goodness in the land of the living. For we pray all these things 
In Jesus' name, amen. We're so glad that you could join us for this service of worship. We pray that God has strengthened you and blessed you through it. And we hope that we'll see you again next week. If you have any questions, be sure to reach out by email.